Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, August 10th, we are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. In today's text, Solomon teaches wisdom concerning the proper use of our words, and he speaks concerning the vanity of riches. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Tim Kern. Pastor Kern serves at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Marlette, Michigan. Pastor Kern, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Good to be with you. So, Pastor Kern, as we get started, let's talk about the book of Ecclesiastes in general. It's a a different book when it comes to Holy Scripture, but part of God's Word to us. How do we need to approach it? What's some background information that we can use to help us look at chapter 5 today? Yeah, so we can start with uh, the context of the entire book a little bit here. Um, And and it begins in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So the preacher is actually where the book of Ecclesiastes gets its name. In Hebrew, it's the word koheleth, um, uh, that is teacher or preacher. Um, And it's similar to the word kahal, which is assembly or congregation. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is written by a teacher for an assembly. It's, it's, It's written for the whole church here. And the preacher, being the son of David, king in Jerusalem, um, traditionally has been understood to be King Solomon, and and I understand it that way too. Um, King Solomon, of course, being the son of David and the king of Israel in Jerusalem, uh, he's the only descendant of King David who ruled Israel from the city of Jerusalem. After him, his son Rehoboam, uh, the, the kingdom split of course, and the kings of Israel then were in Samaria. So we're we're having this book written by Solomon, um, and he is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now Solomon, of course, is a type of Christ. Um, he's he's a foreshadowing of of Christ here. Solomon, his name comes from the Hebrew Shalom, which means peace. Um, and, and Jesus, of course, is the true king of Israel. He's the sovereign of the universe. Um, and he is the king of the church as well. He's the ruler of the church. And we understand um, Israel, especially when uh, New Testament writers are talking about Israel, we understand that to be the church, the people of God, the chosen people of God. Um, and of course, at that time, the temple itself is the dwelling place of God on earth, the Ark of the Covenant being his throne. And he sits enthroned in the temple, and that's in Jerusalem. So, Jesus, being the son of David and David's Lord, being the king of Israel in Jerusalem as well. So, we have this type of Christ even in the book of Ecclesiastes here. 
That's that's real good, Pastor Kern. Just thinking about Jesus as the or Solomon as the type of Christ. That I mean, and of course we'll we'll get into this a little bit more. But Solomon has been talking about life under the sun, S U N, what life yeah. is observably. So Jesus then is the one who reveals to us life under the Creator of the sun, or life under the sun, the S O N. That's exactly right, and that leads us into Solomon's next words here: "Vanity of vanities." says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, um, where basically everything in this world is vanity. It's, it's uh, completely meaningless, um, and it's entirely temporary. And even the sun that shines in the sky is vanity compared to the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ. So talk more about that, that theme that we've been seeing throughout the book of Ecclesiastes with vanity and how it's, you know, just kind of shows up throughout what Solomon means by all that. Yeah, so I, I was doing just a little bit of research into the Hebrew. I'm not a big Hebrew expert or anything like that, but the Hebrew word havel is what uh, Solomon uses for vanity here. And havel is an interesting word. It does mean um, uh, vanity, uh, but it could also mean like a vapor or a breath. Um, and so when he's talking about how you're striving after the wind, that's related here to the word vanity. It's like you're reaching out and trying to grab the vapor. Like in, in Michigan here, it gets pretty cold in the winter and you can see your breath. Um, and so it's like trying to reach out and grab your breath. And that is what the things of the world are like. They're temporary and you can't really grab onto them. It's, it's like um, if you think you can hold on to something forever, well, you can't. Um, you can't even hold on to the breath, which you see with your eyes. This morning, it was kind of foggy on my drive into church here. And it was it was the same idea. If you reach out and try to grab the fog, you're just not going to be able to do it. Uh, you can't take it with you. So, so also are the things of this world. Um, they are temporary. They are uh, decaying. They are dying. Every Everything dies and everyone dies. That's another big theme in the book of Ecclesiastes here. And a lot of people hear that and they, they get kind of depressed uh, that everyone is going to die. You are going to die. And, and everything in the world is dying and decaying. But honestly, I find it very comforting. Um, the idea that everything here is temporary. The idea that everything here is dying and that um, you, you can't take it with you beyond the, beyond the grave. That's comforting because the world kind of stinks. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not really great here, and and that means that there's something better waiting for us. Mm. Uh, everything is temporary here, but there is something that's eternal, and that's what the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, is really getting at. It's, it's trying to focus the church's mind on the things that are eternal. Stop trying to strive after the wind. Stop trying to grab the fog. Um, there's something that's more potent, something that's more real, something that's um, even greater, and that is the eternal things of God. Yeah, so that's, as Solomon talks about the vanity of life under the sun, it's very important to keep that perspective in mind. He is talking about the temporary things of this life. Those are the things that are vanity. From that earthly perspective, Solomon's book is exactly what, what he gives. It's helpful mm -hmm. to keep it in the context of all of Scripture so that we do see those places where Solomon does point to us 
point us to that hope that goes beyond life under this sun so that we do then hold on to the fear of God is one of the ways he puts it in this book. And, and as we know in the full revelation of God, we would hold on to faith in Christ. And then life is not vanity. Life does have meaning and, and lasting nature to it in him. That's right. It's, it's the things of God that are lasting and, and enduring. Um, and, and what Solomon's trying to do for us here in the book of Ecclesiastes is he's trying to turn our attention away from those things that are temporal, you know, like possessing material wealth, for example. You know, that's not going to last. You can't take that with you to the grave. The pursuit of worldly pleasures, well, what good are those going to gain you? Those are vanity. Those are meaningless. And even being a hard worker. This is really interesting, especially for Americans to hear, because we always talk about how, um, you know, if you work hard and, and you dedicate yourself, then you, you can accomplish your goals and dreams and, and, and live the American dream. Well, even being a hard worker and setting your mind to something in the eternal scheme of things, that's not going to gain you anything. Um, and so what Solomon's trying to do is turn our minds turn our hearts away from the things of the world those temporal things those temporary things and he's trying to turn us towards god who is eternal enduring and and lasting and in fact in chapter three he says i perceived that whatever god does endures forever nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it god has done it Mm. the things of god are eternal. God does it, and so they last. Um, and then in chapter 8, it will be well with those who fear God. Um, it will not be well for those who fear, love, and trust in their material wealth or their hard work. It's not going to go well for them in the end, but it will go well for those who fear God, whether they be rich or poor, hardworking or lazy. Um, he's not suggesting you should be lazy by any, by any means, no. but... Right. That's um, right. Well, and th- this is what's remarkable yeah. about Ecclesiastes is that as, as you hear Solomon talk about the vanity of hard work or, or the variety of other things that he says is all vanity, and, and you realize that that is not lasting, and you, you find yourself in that true fear of God where you see him as the creator and you're the creature, then you're actually able to receive those things from God, the work, the riches, the wisdom— and all of those things that Solomon says are vanity, with the right fear of God, those things become gifts to be used, not not in service to myself, but in service to the neighbor. And so it's really only with this matter of, yeah, it's all vanity, and, and we need to fear God. Only when we've got that straight can those gifts actually then be enjoyed in the right way that God has given them. Yeah, and, and Solomon even lays that out, saying, you know, you should work hard, you know, just fear God, keep his commandments, and, and, you know, work hard. And he even suggests at the end of our chapter for today that you should even enjoy those gifts yeah. and be content in those things that God gives us. Um, I've, I found it really interesting how Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he, he sort of restates a lot of the things that Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes. Um, In in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
I mean, that's basically the summary of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Jesus could have said, hey, remember Ecclesiastes, go read that. Um, but but he, he so beautifully summarizes it. He has, he has a great way of doing that's that. Right. You know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. Well, that's the whole... That's the whole shebang right yeah, there. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. The book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know that I can recall a place where it's, well, there's probably a one or two where I think it's pretty close to being quoted. The parable of the rich fool, the way that he says, eat, drink, and be merry. That's very close to right. what Solomon says. But there's not too many direct quotes in the New Testament. And yet the wisdom from Ecclesiastes, as you said, is, is all over what Jesus teaches and, and throughout the New Testament. So fantastic summary to keep in mind there from our Lord in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go ahead and turn to the text that we've got for us today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is beginning at verse 1. Solomon writes, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and, yet, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in, vexation, in much vexation, and sickness and anger. That's our text for today. That is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Just reading through that as a whole, Pastor Kern, it's, it strikes me you get a little bit of, of the whole flavor of Ecclesiastes there because there is some very positive instruction, especially in those first seven or so verses. But then as the chapter continues, then it gets back into more of that general, you know, when you think of Ecclesiastes, everything's a grievous evil. You, you get some of both. I mean, so Solomon's not all just, hey, it's all vanity, despair. There's also that very positive instruction within this book. I think you you see that in this chapter as a whole. Maybe just give us a brief overview of, of what we encounter in these 17 verses, sort of section by section before we dig into individual verses. Yeah, so I see uh, three sections, really. Um, in, the, in the first one, there's an exhortation to 
guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Um, so there we want to be careful about what we say, um, what we pray, and what we vow to do uh, before God. And and it's it's really this this exhortation to be careful about where where you're getting your wisdom from. Um, is it coming from you or is it coming from something outside of you, something external, like the word of God? Um, and, and he even talks about dreams and we want to be careful with dreams. Um, and, and we'll talk a bit about that too. And then this next section, um, Solomon changes his direction a bit um, where he's talking about what you see in the world. Um, and some commentaries love to talk about the government here. Um, and, and we can talk about that a little bit too. But basically, don't be surprised when the world is terrible. Uh, don't be surprised when the world stinks because it stinks. Um, that's a result of, of living in this sinful world. And so don't be so amazed. This is, this is actually normal. Um, and then finally, towards the end of it, um, Solomon returns to his favorite topic. Um, and he talks about the vanity of riches and, and, and how all these things are temporary and, and, you know, being rich and powerful isn't really all it's cracked up to be. Um, all right. So we get to deal with the matter of what we say, particularly before God, right. we get to deal with the matter of what we observe in this world and, and the mm -hmm. fact of what we see from government will be a part of that. And then we get to deal with riches and, and the vanity of those. So let's let's start with. I, I think, go ahead. I think chapter five is a lovely summary of the entire book too. Sure. Really, um, you know, it, it it touches on all of the major themes throughout the entire book. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it just again, uh, uh, what I was trying to remark on as well, not only the topic but also the the tone that Solomon uses you know, the, right. when he's talking here about what you vow and what you say to God. It is a lot more positive instruction this is the way you should do things this is the way right. you shouldn't do things and and less of you know again what you get later in the chapter riches it's all vanity yeah i mean so that's where you know it's good to keep in mind this is wisdom literature and so there is going to be right. wisdom for our lives as christians that solomon's teaching and I, again i think this is just a good chapter for that right so let's let's take up that that first section which deals with the matter of what you say what you vow especially in the context of, of worship, he starts with guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Uh, what does he say in those first couple of verses? Yeah, so um, I want to focus in on the words, it is better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Um, kind of kind of backing up a little bit here, I didn't really plan on talking about this, but in in our divine service, We've, we've got kind of two sections, and I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, the service of the word and the service of the sacrament, but what I'm, what I'm talking about is there's two different kinds of elements in the divine service. There's the sacrificial elements, those things that we offer to God, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be good things, like confessing our sins is a sacrificial element of, of worship, so also is offering praise and thanksgiving and prayers. And you can notice this by the way the pastor turns. Is he turning towards the altar or is he turning towards the people? So there's the sacrificial elements, the things that we offer up to God. And then there's the sacramental elements. These are the, the, the things that God gives to us. So he gives us his word. He teaches us. He, 
he gives us the preaching of that word, the explanation of the word. He gives us um, the blessings. He gives us the holy sacrament. And so we've, we've got these two different elements at play in our divine service. And with that understanding, when we hear the words, the sacrifice of fools, um, and even when we're talking about sacrifices in general, we can think, okay, sacrifices are things that we are offering up to God. And so when we're going to the house of God, what are those things that we are offering? Okay. Um, and so certainly it could be actual animal sacrifices like they had in the Old Testament. Um, and, and Jeremiah, I can't remember the chapter, but Jesus quotes it when he's flipping the tables. You have turned my house into a, a den of robbers. Yeah. Well, basically in Jeremiah, what they were angry about is, is people were getting cheap grace or they thought they were getting cheap grace. They were stealing forgiveness from God, thinking I can go off into my life and I can do all of the sins that I like best and then I'll come and I'll just offer the correct sacrifices for that and I'm fine. Well, Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not fine. And here, I think Solomon would call that the sacrifice of fools. Um, they're, they're bringing the sacrifice not of a contrite heart, um, but, but simply the rote going through the motions of, of uh, following the, the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law sort of thing. So it's better to offer silence. It's better to listen. Mm than to offer that sacrifice of fools. And if they listened, they might actually get the spirit of the law. They might be convicted of their sins. They might hear the promises of God and repent um, and actually offer a right sacrifice. But then there's other kinds of sacrifices too. In our divine service, we talk about the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Um, we, we offer the sacrifice of praise. We offer the sacrifice of prayers. So let's not do that foolishly. Um, and essentially, I think what Solomon is, is saying to us here in the 21st century is, well, he actually says it word for word, be not rash with your mouth. Let your words be few. <laughs> Don't be so talkative. <laughs> here we are recording um, a radio Bible study talking for an right, hour. <laughs> right. That, that irony is not lost on me. <laughs> We're going to talk for, for an hour with many words <laughs> on, on this one chapter. Um, but basically, be careful with what you're saying. Um, and this is true when we go to church. It's it's true when we go to the house of God, but it's also true in our daily prayers in private. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, again, Jesus brings this up. You know, don't, don't stand in the street corners and don't, uh, uh, you know, don't do this in public where you think you're going to gain honor among men. Um Rather, go into your closet, shut the door, pray in secret, and your father will hear what you say in secret. And don't heap up words upon words upon words, you know, thinking that, you know, God will hear you because of your many words. And Solomon says this here, too. Uh, where, where is this? Oh, goodness. He says, well, yes, he says, let your words be few. But doesn't he say somewhere here? Oh, yeah, thinking that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe that was Jesus. Yeah, that's I yeah, think that that's Jesus. Jesus. But but nonetheless, I, I that was Jesus. I think that fits with what Solomon is saying about be not rash with your mouth, don't let your heart be hasty to utter word before God, because God is in heaven, and you are on earth. 
which is yes. uh, that reminds me of what Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount concerning vows. You know, don't be don't be hasty with your with your vows. Rather, let your yes be yes, your no be no, because God is in in heaven, and the whole earth is His footstool. I mean, so I think those things fit together. I, I really appreciate Wait. what you're saying about the being better to draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, and the way that that connects to our worship and really to our lives as Christians in general. If we don't listen to God first, we won't know what kind of service to offer him, whether whether mm-hmm. the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the worship or the service of our lives throughout the week. If we haven't listened to him first, then we have no clue what he wants. And if we try to offer him something before we've listened to him, then we're going to end up doing the wrong thing. And the the right. I mean, one example that comes to my mind as well in addition to the ones you mentioned, is the example of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where where Samuel says, you know, Saul has offered a sacrifice when he was supposed to dedicate everything to the Lord, and he's kept certain things for himself. And he says, look, Samuel, I, I sacrificed. It's it's okay. And Samuel says, it's better to obey, or you could translate obey, that, listen, right. you know. It's better to listen than to sacrifice. I think Solomon's got the same wisdom here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and building off of that, we won't even know, right, you said we, we won't know what God wants, but then we also won't know what God gives. Yeah, uh, We won't know what he desires to give us. And even in those sacrificial elements of the service, a lot of them, we are, we're simply reading what's in the bulletin or what's in the hymnal, right? In the creed, that's a sacrificial element. Um, we are, we are, confessing our faith. We're offering up a right confession to God. It's partially um, proclamatory. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, it, it, it partially proclaims and teaches us the faith, but at the same time, we are confessing our faith to God. We're offering a right confession, and that's something that's been handed down to us from the scriptures. That's something that's been given to us it's the whole doctrine of the Bible. Who is God? What does he do? Specifically, what does he do for us? Mm. Um, and, and we make that confession. And then also the sacrifice of prayer. I mean, the, the most important prayer that we say every Sunday morning is the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus gave us. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, after he's done talking about, you know, don't build up, you know, all these many words, you know, you think your father's going to listen to you just because you talk a lot. That's ridiculous. He says, in fact, when you pray, say this, and he gives us the Lord's prayer. And that's really the perfect prayer. It's short. It's simple. It's to the point. It takes less than a minute to say. It's not heaping words upon words upon words, but it does ask for everything that we actually need. Yeah. And it's all of those things that God has already promised to give us. Yeah. Yeah. And so we end up asking him for those things that he has said to us that he wants right. to give and we know that he will. We never and would have asked like that listening. if we hadn't listened to him first. So be right. quick to listen, slow to speak, especially before God. We're going to keep looking at this wisdom from Solomon on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Tim Kern this morning about Ecclesiastes 5. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 10th. We're studying Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor Tim Kern. He serves at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Marlette, Michigan. Pastor Kern, prior to the break, we were talking about Solomon's wisdom, that it is better to listen, to draw near to the Lord, to listen to him, rather than offering the sacrifice of fools to give to God that which he has not asked and to ignore the gifts that he has for us. As you were talking earlier, I was—I think this is from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, where Philip Melanchthon reminds us that faith is the highest form of worship. I'm pretty sure that's in Article 4, I think, of the Apology. And I, mean, that, I think that fits in with what we're talking about here, that we go to God to listen to him because we trust in him. And, and then trusting in him, we seek after those things that he gives and desires us to do, it seems like Solomon's operating with that same definition of what worship is, that, that faith is the highest right. form of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it definitely brings in that first commandment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Don't fear, love, and trust in your riches. Don't fear, love, and trust in your hard work and your abilities. And, and, and you know, and, and don't even love these earthly pleasures above God because... He is eternal, and and <laughs> that's right. We are not. He is God, and we are not. Um, and I think Solomon, or sorry, not Solomon, uh, the prophet Isaiah, picks up on on what Solomon is saying here. Solomon says, "For God is in heaven, and you are on earth." You know this. That right there is enough for why we should worship Him. Yeah. Uh, that right there is enough. You know, He's 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 God, and we are not. Um, and the prophet Isaiah picks up on this idea um, in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we can, we can see this tangible worldly reality. We can see earthly riches or lack thereof. We can see hard work or laziness. We can see... Um, pleasures or or you know tribulations we can see all these things but there is something higher and there is something greater mm -hmm. and god is in heaven and we are on earth we can only see part of it yeah. and so we can only understand part of it right so listen but, to him but, first right listen to him speaking exactly listen to him um um his his ways and his thoughts are better and, and they're higher. Um, and, and, and so 
it brings this the second commandment in as well you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god um yeah, I, I think, I mean, the second commandment applies when we're talking about the vows, and especially what we're saying, you know, anytime we start speaking about yeah. what God has said, we're invoking his name, so we need to make sure that we are using his name correctly as he has revealed revealed his name to us. And so, I mean, I right. think that's really where a lot of this wisdom that we get from Solomon about what we vow before God to make sure we do those things, and, and again, to be careful with what we say before God. Those things all come into play with what we've been talking about, but there is that, that matter of the dream that comes up a couple times in this section, which you mentioned from the right. outset. We haven't really talked about that. What? How do the dreams fit in with what Solomon is saying here? Well, let me read what he says here, starting in verse 3. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And then he goes on and talks about vows. But then he picks up again in verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one whom you should fear. And that last, that last phrase right there, but God is the one whom you should fear, I think that explains what, what Solomon's trying to get at here. So dreams really aren't trustworthy at all. We can't make our dreams into our false God. Rather, God is the one whom we should fear, love, and trust in. So... Um, Oh, what is it called? There's this new movement uh, in 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 the fringes of, of Protestantism. New Apostolic Reformation. Have you heard of this? I have not. You're gonna have to help me out with that one. Okay. Well, there's this there's this crazy guy saying that he's got this special re revelation from God, um, and 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 his translation of the his translation of the Bible is the only one that's valid. Um, that does and, not sound and, promising. And, no, it's it's terrible. Um, so, <laughs> this this of course I think all comes from dreams and visions. People claiming that they have this special revelation from God. It's an inner revelation, right? Whereas we have the external revelation of the Word of God in which we can trust. And now people um, people will have dreams all the time, right? And sometimes they're good. You know, sometimes like we, we hear about uh, like people in Syria or Iraq, they'll have a dream and Jesus will come to them and say, go to Germany and find this one specific Lutheran pastor and, and he will tell you the truth. Well, okay, that's good. I'm glad they had that dream because now they went to Germany and they found that specific Lutheran pastor and he did tell them the truth and they were brought to faith. So maybe the Holy Spirit is working through dreams on occasion, but oftentimes someone will have a dream that will say, oh, I, I, think, I think maybe God is telling me to divorce my wife, right? He's not. And that I can very clearly tell you, God is not telling you to divorce your wife. In fact, he says, what God has joined together, let no one tear asunder. So God is specifically telling you, be faithful to your wife. Um, and so these dreams can, can, can help sometimes, and maybe the Holy Spirit uses them. But oftentimes these dreams give us a special revelation that we think comes from God, but is actually a temptation of the devil. And so we have to be careful with dreams. And ultimately, how do we know if a dream is good or evil? 
we hold it up to the word of God. Um, and, and, and what, what does this external word, what does the divine revelation say to us? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and that's how we, that's how we look at dreams. Yeah. And I think that's what Solomon is telling us here too. Um, with dreams, there's much business and a fool's voice with many words, right? Don't be a fool. Don't listen to your dreams. Listen to the word of God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, in terms of, you know, what you're saying about testing things, First John chapter 4, test the spirits. And, and right. you know, if you want to know whether something's true or not, theologically, is it pointing you to Jesus Christ who's come into the flesh? And how do you know, I mean, where you get that message? Well, from the scriptures. And I think, you know, when it comes to what we should expect, see, if we ask, well, God, could God talk to me in a dream? Of course he could. God could do a lot of things. But what has he promised to do? What should we expect him to do based on what he said he will do? The verses right. that I, I use in this regard are the first verses of the book of Hebrews. You know, in many ways, at, long ago, God spoke to our, our prophet, the prophets in a lot of different ways. But in these last days, mm-hmm. he's spoken to us by his son. And so if you, by his son. yeah, how do you expect God to the speak to you? The word made flesh. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. How has he promised to speak to you? Not in these right. other ways. He could, sure. But what has he promised to do? In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He gives his word in the Holy Scripture. That's where we should look for that certainty as to what we should hear and then what we should speak back to God. Any more thoughts and, on, and on have, these verses, Pastor Kern? Yeah, we have so much evidence of, of what you just said over the last 2,000 years of church history, you know, just from how many false teachers and how many heretics have come from not reading the Scriptures, not listening to the Word of God, not listening to the teachers who are handing down you know, the faith that was handed to them, but rather they have a dream. They see visions of angels or something. I mean, the abomination of Islam started this way where, you know, Muhammad is out in the desert and and he receives this special revelation. Um, It's, it's, it's a vicious cycle that just keeps repeating itself. The devil is not very creative. That's right. That's (laughs) right. He keeps recycling his old, his old tricks over and over and over again. Yep. Um, so we would do well you to know, Joseph Smith with yeah. the golden tablets. That's right. That's right. Same you know, story. I mean, all of these. Right. Same story, different place, different person, different time, but, but same story. Exactly. That's right. That's right. So it's, it's a fool's voice. That's right. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's yeah. So listen instead to God. God is the one you must fear to wrap up that section right. from Solomon. So take us into the, the next part, verses eight and nine, where Solomon is, is reminding us, don't be surprised when you see what the technical term I think you've, you've used is this world stinks. It stinks. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. So here he, he changes, he changes his direction a bit before, you know, verses one through seven, he's talking kind of to the individual, giving them good advice on, you know, if, if you're going to make a vow, first of all, be careful with the vow you're going to make. If you're going to make a vow, make sure you can do it. Um, otherwise you're in trouble. And, and here's all of these, these suggestions on how you can do it. Be silent. Don't be so hasty to speak and all that. So he's giving good, solid wisdom and advice to the individual Christian. Here he kind of switches tactics. Um, he, he changes directions a bit. He's still talking to the individual, but he's speaking not about necessarily individual matters, but he's, he's speaking about the whole world. When you look at the world, um, don't be so surprised when you see things like corruption. Hmm. 
especially in governments. Don't be surprised when you see corruption. Don't be surprised when you see wickedness. Don't be surprised. What are the exact words he uses? When you see the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. Don't be amazed at this because this is the normal way of things. Like we said before, the world stinks. You know, there's there's sin in the world. It's it's not a great place. Because there's sin in the world, this is the normal way. That's how the world works. You see corruption in the government? Well, guess what? There's always corruption in the government. Um, you see that the poor are oppressed? Well, the poor have always been oppressed. The poor you will always have with you. Justice is violated? Well, no kidding. You know, there's 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 rich and powerful people, and they're going to violate justice against those who can't um, um, essentially protect themselves. And so, this is just the way it is. No one is ever concerned with righteousness. We're sinners. And especially the non-Christian world is not concerned with righteousness. Because this world, this temporary world that stinks, this is all that they have. This is all that they can see. And they're not even hearing the call of the Holy Spirit by the gospel to something better. They're not hearing that call. They're not receiving, um, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Um, hmm. Either they're not hearing it, they're not receiving it, or, or they're ignoring it. That might be a better way of saying it. They're ignoring the call of the Holy Spirit uh, towards something more eternal, something higher, something greater and something more lasting. And that's normal. So don't be so surprised. Right. You can't count on the government to help you. Mm. That's right. So just just do not put your trust in princes. Right. You can't count on them. Only God can be trusted. The first it's it always comes back to the first commandment. Yeah. Fear, love and trust in God. Yeah. That's that's your only hope. Yeah. You know, I mean, with, only God can be trusted. And even he doesn't explicitly say it in these two verses, but the way that he speaks in verses eight and nine in this chapter reminds me of the way that he speaks back in chapter three, where it's particularly verse 16. Solomon sees wickedness both in the place of justice and in the place of righteousness. But he, he reflects in his heart in the next verse that God will judge at the end. And, you know, again, mm -hmm. he doesn't explicitly say that here. When he's, but I think the way that he talks about, hey, the high official is watched by someone higher, and then there's higher ones yet. Although right. he doesn't take the chain the full the full way up here. Well, you know God is at the top of I, the ladder I think there. we're supposed to think that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I, th I think at the end of this section, at, in, in verse 9, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivate fields. So, okay, don't be amazed when you see corruption and terrible kings, uh, but God actually does provide for you through these rulers. It, th these are the first article gifts. You know, God gives you clothing and food, house and home, land, animals, and all that you have, and he gives you, sometimes he gives you good government. Sometimes. That's actually something that we could be surprised about. <laughs> um <laughs> But ultimately, we shouldn't even be surprised at that yeah. because God is at the top of the ladder. God is the eternal judge. God is the sovereign of the universe, and he does care for us through these things. Sometimes governments are bad, but God still provides through our governments. Sometimes parents are bad, 
but God still provides through parents and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so don't be surprised when you see the wickedness in this, in this world that is infected by sin, but remember that the Lord is still the judge. He stands at the top and to use the words from verse seven again, he's the one you must fear. So it applies to the way we speak to our observations about human life. And it's going to apply to the matter of our wealth, which is where the, the rest of our section deals with, verses 10 to 17. I'll just get us started with that first verse, and we can talk about yeah. the section. We've got about 10 minutes here. He, okay. he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. And here's Solomon's favorite word, this also is vanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this is really his favorite topic of the book, and I think that's the case because... Solomon himself is so wealthy, and Solomon has all of this worldly uh, riches. He's got, you know, multiple palaces. He's got orchards. He's got vineyards. He's got farms. He's got a thousand wives. He's got all of these possessions, and he's got all of this greatness, all of this earthly wisdom, knowledge of the natural world, so much so that the queen of the south comes up and wants to hear everything he has to say because he knows about the ants, right? Um and he's got all of these things, and yet he's still saying they're vanity. It's meaningless. It's futile. Like, what good is this doing me eternally? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Um, and it's almost like I think Solomon keeps coming back to this point throughout the book of Ecclesiastes because I think he's talking to himself, hmm. really. I mean, he is the teacher to the congregation, of course, but at the same time, he himself, I think, is is really who he's preaching for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, so what does he? I mean, as as he reflects on this matter, preaching to himself, perhaps. Yeah. He he keeps talking. When goods increase, they increase who eat him or them. Excuse <laughs> me. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Verse twelve is very proverbial. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's not set off like a proverb, but it certainly reads like one. Right. And and basically, it's not, you know, being rich is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, Being being like the the rich man and the rich man in Lazarus, Mm. you know, feasting sumptuously, living in this fine palace with beautiful purple clothing, dressed like a king, eating like a king. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and I think we can all understand that verse 12 too, um, because I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I could eat anything, you know, (laughs) like I could eat absolutely anything as much as I wanted. And I would sleep like a baby. I, well, that's actually not a great analogy because babies don't ever sleep in my experience, (laughs) but, um, I, I could sleep very solidly, but now I'm a grown man. And, and I eat the wrong things and I get heartburn yeah. and I get indigestion. And um, we might not feast sumptuously every day. We might not live in a king's palace. We might, we might not be fabulously wealthy like Solomon was. But I think most of us can understand this proverb because most of us have probably eaten a little bit too much on Christmas yeah. uh, at, at our Christmas dinners. Um, and, and we wake up in the middle of the night with indigestion. We wake up not feeling very well and it, it we're not able to sleep. So 
Um, but then, oh goodness, we've we've been building a barn lately because uh, we've we've got a house and 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 we you know we just came up here about two years ago, uh, received the call, and and we basically bought the only house that was available. Well, it doesn't have a basement and it doesn't have a garage, so storage is a real issue for us. So we're building a barn. And I think it's Luke chapter 16 keeps coming to mind. And I keep worrying that tomorrow, you know, my life will be demanded of me. <laughs> but we're building a barn and, and it, it requires some physical labor because we're building it ourselves. And, and on days when we're building the barn and, and doing all of this physical labor, I sleep great. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter if we have a big dinner that day or not. I sleep great on those days that I do physical labor. And I think, I think it's 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 this this proverb that he gives us here. It's it's absolutely true. Well, and um, I so I think it's I think it's true in, in but, the very real physical senses that you're talking about. When we when we work well, we sleep well, and and when right. we we eat poorly and we try to go to bed on a full stomach, we we don't sleep. I think there's right. That's that's physical reality side of things, and I think he, he'll come and touch on this in verses eighteen through through 22 where um not 22 but 20 also um where where okay everything in this world is meaningless it's vanity it's temporary but these are still gifts that god has given you and so you're free to enjoy them you're free you're free to to uh be content with what god has given you whether you're rich or poor you know, go ahead and, and take joy in your work. I think he talks about right. somewhere else in, in Ecclesiastes. He talks about whatever lot God has given you, be content. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I think that makes verse 12 more than just the physical reality of it, but also the, the matter of, of worry. So when, when we work and we, we do the work that God has given us for the day, commending it into his care— then we go to sleep at peace, much like Luther teaches us in the, the morning and evening prayers in the Catechism. You go to work singing a hymn of the Ten Commandments. You go to sleep at peace knowing that you're, you're forgiven. That's the attitude of the Christian who receives all this as good from God. Whereas the rich with the full stomach has to do, I think, not only, again, with the, the reality of trying to sleep on a full stomach, but also with the, the reality of when I've got all this stuff stored up, and that's my God and whom I, I fear, love, and trust, mm-hmm. then I'm worried about it. And I can't actually enjoy the rest that God would give me at night. So I think there's there's two realities maybe going on with that that little proverb. Yeah, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, verse 10. That's that's exactly right. Um he he opens he opens the paragraph and gives away the farm right there. That's that's what it's about. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, we've got about three minutes here, Pastor Kern. Let, let's look a little yeah. bit farther into to verses 15 and following, where, where Solomon talks about the rich man coming from his mother womb. His mother womb. He's going to go the same way again. What's he saying there? Yeah, everybody dies. There you go. <laughs> um, that's that's what it is. Uh, he's, he's a rich man. He came from his mother's womb, but he's going to leave life as a poor man. He's going to leave life with none of his riches, none of his palaces, not even his clothing. He's going to leave life naked, and he can't take anything with him. And so he returns to this idea that everybody dies. Everything in this world is temporary. Everything is vanity in that respect because you can't take anything 
with you. You can't take your pleasures with you. You can't take your riches with you. You can't even take all of the things you worked for in this world because those things are going to stay in the world. Those things are going to stay here. And in fact, someone, <laughs> he says it earlier on in Ecclesiastes, um, all, of the, all of the things you worked for, they're going to be left to someone else. And who knows whether that man will be wise or a fool. And in Solomon's case, his son Rehoboam certainly seems like a fool, especially in his, in his uh, early reign. So basically, stop trying to attain for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust are going to destroy them. Stop trying to grab on to this vanity, this vapor. Stop trying to catch your breath. Stop trying to catch the fog. It's utterly pointless. Enough of this already. Instead, build up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Um, have faith. Listen to him. These things will bring you blessings that are eternal. These, this will give you the riches uh, that will last and endure. Uh, so essentially, he's saying, build up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And beyond that, the, to, to finish out the chapter with, with verse 18 and beyond, um, when God does give you earthly blessings, then recognize them as gifts of God, rejoice in them, give thanks, and be content with what God has given you. Pastor Tim Kern is pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Marlette, Michigan. He has been helping us today to study Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Kern, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Pastor. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Ecclesiastes chapter 5, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.